Welcome to worship with Bethel Maidstone United Church. My name is Katherine Elsden. This is the first in a three-part series entitled No Fair. We're exploring God's idea of fairness, which is fortunately very different from our own. As we grow in Christ, we need to challenge ourselves to love and forgive like Christ, even when it's not fair, even when it feels undeserved. This series focuses on three passages from Matthew's Gospel that challenge our notions about church life, forgiveness, and grace. Our Gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. If another member of the church and I'll interject here, in the literal translation, it is brother. So we could think of this as, if another brother or sister of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you've regained that one. But if you're not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth, you will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among you. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. We just finished our Food for the Soul series, in which we heard and saw Jesus using food and talking about food as metaphor and symbol. Those stories about miracles and meals, those teachings about bread and fish, give us insight into who Jesus is and what he's about. And they require imagination, interpretation. They invite reflection. Jesus often teaches like that. He uses parables and metaphors. But occasionally, in the Gospels, he is remarkably practical and direct, which is what we see in our lesson today. In this Gospel reading, Jesus offers clear-cut instructions for how to directly deal with conflict in the church. Many of us who have been members in churches for any length of time know all too well that communities of faith can be places of hurt and conflict. And while Jesus may give us direct instructions on how to deal with conflict, we also know that churches can be uniquely indirect and passive. Brian Erickson, a Methodist pastor, writes about a real-life example of a church so intimidated by their elderly, longtime organist that they felt they couldn't have that difficult conversation to fire her. So they just went ahead and threw her a retirement party, which apparently didn't work. This is a true story. So the next thing they tried, they sold the organ. Sometimes I think in the interest of trying to be loving or nice or polite, we actually end up being manipulative, nurturing old grudges in secret or gossiping. Jesus seems to assume that there's going to be conflicts among his followers. What makes us Christian is not whether we fight, disagree, or wound one another but how we go about addressing and resolving our issues. Jesus spells out conflict resolution in three steps. 
First, when a brother or sister in the church sins against you, go and speak directly to that person and do it alone. Now, think about that for a minute. Before we discuss it with others, before we harbor it so long that it slowly poisons us against the possibility of reconciliation, before waiting for the other person to catch on to our signals that we are displeased, hoping it will provoke an apology. Before all of that, go and speak directly to the one who has sinned against you. Is that easy to do? No. Does it always feel fair? No. Does it sound like Jesus? Yes. We have to remember who we are as a church. Our primary identity is not that of a club of like-minded people with powerful leaders or even the majority in charge. We're the body of Christ, an interdependent fellowship in which each member is of great value and all are united under the headship, under the leadership of Jesus. So the goal of Jesus' conflict resolution plan, it's not revenge or punishment. The goal is to keep that body healthy and whole. The goal is healing and restoration within the body of Christ. The goal is to regain the brother or sister, as it says in verse 15. Jesus' strategy involves making every effort to prevent embarrassment or shame for the offender. That's why you go to the person directly, in private, first. Only if that doesn't work, you involve other people. Which brings us to step number two. If you're not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses, as it reads in verse 16. So rather than talking with others behind the offender's back, you bring in one or two people to give some perspective to the issue. If step two fails, bring the issue before the entire congregation. And if the offender still refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, as an outsider. Churches uh, usually hear this final instruction and they interpret it as a license to exile or excommunicate or shun the individual. And maybe, perhaps, there are times when that's necessary. But we can't ignore the fact that Jesus often associated and ate with tax collectors and Gentiles. That a criticism leveled to him earlier in even Matthew's gospel is that he's a friend to tax collectors and sinners. So perhaps Jesus is implying that even if we are an unable to resolve a conflict, we're not to give up on a person, not to stop reaching out in love nor yearning for reconciliation. Jesus then reminds us that the church isn't an institution or a denomination or a club. It's wherever two or more are gathered in his name. It's a diverse group of people bound to one another by our interdependence under Christ, by the very presence of Christ's spirit. The way we resolve conflict is meant to witness to the world Christ's ministry of reconciliation, which overcomes all division through the power of the cross. That's a witness the world needs, which is perhaps even more apparent this time of year as we approach Remembrance Day, a day to remember the terrible suffering that occurs when divisions and conflicts turn to violence. Throughout his ministry, Jesus, in his teachings and actions, offers a model for nonviolence, for the use of peaceful means, not force, to bring about change. 
I've had cause to think about this deeply, in particular, as a member of the Canadian Armed Forces. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ and a member of the military? As most of you know, I serve as a Reserve Force Chaplain in the Essex and Kent Scottish Regiment. It is a part-time position, and it's a unique one. I am a soldier and an officer, but mine is a non-combat role. I am not trained in the use of weapons, nor do I have any command authority. There are certain expectations of me that are common to all soldiers. I'm expected to undergo basic training, to fit into military culture and learn military history, to attend exercises with my unit and brigade. There are opportunities for me to deploy once I'm fully trained. But my area of focus is the morale and spiritual well-being of my unit. We are an interfaith ministry. There are chaplains from all faith backgrounds, and we minister to everyone regardless of whether or not they're religious. We engage in what we call a ministry of presence, being present with the troops, forming relationships of trust, so that when a spiritual or personal crisis arises, they are comfortable coming to us for guidance and support. We're able to help individuals access healthcare professionals and financial support. In addition, we have a role as an advocate. We can approach all members at any rank level. So when a member is having challenges with his or her chain of command, we're able to advocate on their behalf. I find the position of chaplain, I'm still relatively new. I was sworn in three years ago, but um, had an over year long maternity leave in the middle of that. So I find this position still to be an awkward one at times for me in a working environment so focused on hard skills, on tasks and qualifications and objectives. It can be difficult to quantify my own contribution. Yet there are moments of clarity when I am able to calm a member after a significant car accident or a conflict at work, when I'm asked to preside at a soldier's wedding, when a member thanks me for supporting him through a family crisis and says that if it wasn't for me, he wouldn't have finished basic training last summer. When a soldier dies and I, with my commanding officer, knock on his family door to deliver that terrible news. Those are moments when I feel that I am able to share something of the grace and compassion of God. And I've also, over the years, been surprised by how many soldiers confide in me about their spiritual beliefs. I pursued this job in part because it presented a new and challenging environment in which to do ministry, an interesting compliment to my work in a congregation. No offense to either my church or my unit, but it is hard to imagine two more different groups of people. There's very little spitting or swearing that goes on here in the church, for example. Many of the troops are members of organized religions, but many are not. As I said, I've been surprised by, regardless of their religious affiliation, by how many of them have initiated conversations about spirituality. Obviously, they want to talk to me about this because they know my role. But it has led me to wonder if there isn't something about soldiering that lends itself to theological reflection. Because religious or not, many of them are interested in talking about the big questions. I think part of this has to do with the motivations behind why people enlist in the military. 
In addition to a paying job, I think many of us enlist in the military looking for belonging, for meaning, adventure. Many of us believe in service and sacrifice for the common good. At a young age, because of their service, many have had to think through issues of life and death, leading to questions like, what is most important in life? What things are worth dying for, worth putting yourself in harm's way for? Many of them have been drawn to military service because they want to be committed to something greater than themselves. They believe in a higher purpose for their lives. The common good, a higher purpose, the meaning of life and death, these are important conversations. They are spiritual conversations. And I feel honored that I get to have those conversations with people I otherwise wouldn't. On Remembrance Day, we pause to remember the men and women who have served and continue to serve Canada in times of war, conflict, and peace. We especially honor those who have made the ultimate sacrifice for their country. And this year, I think most recently, of Corporal James Choi, a reservist who died during a live fire training exercise. In As a chaplain, I have also been witness to the many smaller sacrifices soldiers make every day. The commitment to service above self can be a real strain on marriages, children, careers, schoolwork, physical and mental health. I have spoken with soldiers who struggle with disturbing things that they've seen while deployed in Afghanistan and more recently in long-term care facilities here in Ontario. The work, including the training, is dangerous and it seems to me that as long as we, as a society, are willing to ask men and women to sacrifice their well-being for their country, then we should also be committed to their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. I am proud to serve those who serve. And I have found that my military service has actually deepened my commitment to and prayers for peace and justice. This year, we are not able to observe Remembrance Day and honor those who serve in the ways we might wish. Many ceremonies have been scaled back or moved online because of the pandemic. It's long been the tradition here in our congregation to hold our own short Remembrance Day ceremony as part of our worship service on the Sunday before November 11th. One particularly poignant part of the Remembrance Day ceremony is the playing of the last post. It used to be, prior to the mid-19th century, that the foot soldier's life was regulated by drumbeats. Later, the bugle call was introduced and was used for both field maneuvers and in camp to regulate soldiers' daily activities. The most common bugle calls were the reveille, rouse, and last post. The last post was played at the end of the day to signal lights out, that the camp was secure, and that all sentries were in position. The rouse, or the reveille, was the wake-up call in the morning. In our Remembrance Day ceremonies, we play the last post, then observe two minutes of silence, followed by the reveille. When we stand to hear the bugle call and think of the devastation of war and the sacrifices of those who have served, the music reminds us that even after a long night comes a new day, deep shadows are banished by the dawn, and the promise of our faith is that death is followed by new life. May God bless those who serve, both past and present. May we never forget.
and may God strengthen our commitment to the peaceful resolution of conflict in our families, our churches, and our world. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have found this podcast meaningful to you, I hope you'll subscribe and share it with your friends. Join us in the next episode as we continue in this series exploring God's idea of fairness. I leave you with this blessing from William Coffin, United Church of Christ clergyman, civil rights, and peace activist. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. May God give you grace not to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is now too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. May God take your minds and think through them. May God take your lips and speak through them. May God take your hands and work through them. May God take your hearts and set them on fire. Amen. <laughs>